2: Good evening, everyone. This is the June 26th, 2015 edition of Don't Let It Go Unheard. This is where we discuss news, politics, and culture from the perspective of Ayn Rand's philosophy. Ayn Rand's philosophy of objectivism is the philosophy that uniquely, I say uniquely, upholds the right to the pursuit of your own happiness. I'm your host, Amy Peekoff, and I see a lot of the usual suspects here in the chat room, including... Chief Justice John Roberts. I'm just kidding. We always have here. Well, not always. And I should not take him for granted. I thank him for his presence. But we have John Roberts here in the Blog Talk Radio chat room. And uh, I'm glad it is not Chief Justice John Roberts because, oh my gosh, this week? Um, I can't say that any of what happened this week was unexpected. In fact, I probably would have predicted both of the outcomes this week, but that doesn't mean that it wasn't depressing to a large extent. So in a nutshell, the Supreme Court this week, homosexuals may now also, just like heterosexuals, have spouses with whom they can commiserate over their lack of control over their health care right homosexuals can choose whom they marry but they still can't do anything about taking control over their own health care that's the lesson that we learned this week so we're going to talk about those two important opinions of course but we have other things that we're going to talk about too so go over to my blog at don'tletitgo.com if you would like to see the program notes for today's show And um, thank you to those of you who have written and said that they found the program notes helpful. Uh, I enjoy doing them, of course, and and giving them to you guys, and it helps me to collect my thoughts. I mean, if I'm starting, you know, this late in the evening on Friday, I need all the help I can get to keep all of my various stray thoughts together about the week. And this week, there is so much going on. Uh, Something that should have been in the program notes and is not. Uh, is the horrible terrorist attacks that have happened over the past day or two in France, Tunisia, and I'm trying to remember where else. Uh, Tunisia is the worst. I I understand there were 37 casualties in Tunisia. Uh, The attack in France, not as many casualties, but just as horrific in terms of the evil of the perpetrators kuwait tells me a pig fan in the chat room tells me kuwait also uh they have they was the site of a terrorist attack from what i understand because it is ramadan um there is a you know kind of further more than usual incitement by isis to anybody who is going to follow those scumbags to you know, go ahead and commit more terrorist attacks within the next month or so. So people should take, you know, as, as much precautions as as they can. You know, obviously you live your life, but be aware of your surroundings. And um, what, what do you say? If you see something, say something. Is that what the Department of Homeland Security is always telling us? But really do, you know, if you uh, get wind of people out there who seem to be in effect aiding ISIS Feel free to go ahead and tag FBI on Twitter. For example, if you're out there on Twitter and things like that This stuff can help as you'll see with one of the articles that we're going to talk about this evening. So um, Just Jean in the chat room said she hadn't heard about these attacks, you know with all of the news about the Supreme Court and uh, particularly today all the hand-wringing about gay marriage being legalized heaven forbid They don't actually talk about real news in the world which is that these horrific attacks continue and that our president is not doing anything that is calculated to eliminate the threat from isis anytime in the near future and that that really is truly pathetic um Anyway, go check out the program notes and you'll be able to see what I've got planned to talk about this evening. You can chime in here at the chat room at Blog Talk Radio, as many of you already are. Welcome, Stuart, Mark, Pig Fan, of course, John, just Jean. I see Craig hanging out in there. Oh my gosh, it's so funny. I'm reading on the right-hand side where you can see the roster of everybody. He puts himself as Chief Justice John Roberts. I see it. That's Wonderful. I think I see some new names as well. If you do want to chime in by phone, you can do that as well. What you need to do is call 760 888 5817. Again, that's 760 888 5817. And I'm being told that the sound is pretty good this week. Is the sound better? I'm not hearing any blips myself. How are you guys doing there? I've got a bit different setup. It's not. Different equipment but I've got the configuration a little bit uh, Stuart in the chat room is saying that just yesterday CNN ran a delusional article saying Obama will go down in history as a great president and it cited as evidence his deal with Iran I'm on board with Roger Simon whom I saw tweet today the fact that if there was anybody who cared about this country he would not be doing this deal with Iran we just have this week a plethora of evidence that our president and his administration and and the supporters of our president do not have the best interest of our country at heart I'm glad that the sound is better like I said the equipment is not any different I did a couple things I unplugged and replugged my USB for my little soundboard and I changed the actual physical Setup of the room. So I'm hoping that this good sound is going to continue. Keep me posted Uh, Kay mckinnis in the chat room asks do we get our rights from our humanity or do we get them from the Constitution and you could ask actually she says uh, do you get them from the Constitution through Democratic vote or You could say Do we get them from the Constitution or do we get them through Democratic vote? Because what we're learning from Roberts is that Roberts has a tremendous amount amount of, quote, deference to Democratic vote. Well, except when he doesn't. Right. Because he's not so excited about the fact that many states have had referenda and have had their legislatures approve gay marriage. Somehow that doesn't count. In terms of having deference. It's uh, pretty pretty crazy stuff out there. But yeah, I, I really, you know, this, this idea that, yes, okay, you can marry, and that's good. I think that, um, you know, it, it's about time, basically. And the other thing that I like uh, seeing from Roger Simon out there on Twitter is he was saying, if the Republicans really should have accepted about 10 years ago, that this issue was a done deal and stop, in effect, spending political capital on it, uh, and yet, from what I saw on Twitter, because I follow Megyn Kelly on Twitter, I gather that Mike Huckabee was on Megyn Kelly just talking about how the world is ending because we have gay marriage. <sighs> Pig fan says, it's really annoying to see people flock to Hillary and Obama for being pro-gay marriage when they weren't up to 2013 and 2012. Yes, that's right. And this is the same Hillary who stood by her husband when D-O-M-A, yes, the Defense of Marriage Act was signed. Yeah, I was really enjoying the Twitter feed of Timothy Sandifer this evening. Those of you who heard me talk about when I got to go and be on the American Freedom Alliance's Magna Carta conference, I was on a panel with Timothy Sandifer, and got to watch another panel that he was on. Very, very impressive, and so much fun. And on Twitter today and yesterday, he was just on fire. It was really a cool thing to see. But um, you can see a few of my retweets of his if you go to my, to my Twitter. Um, it sometimes is worth following me on Twitter. Sometimes I don't tweet for days. I'm not one of these daily people, but occasionally I get on a tear, and when Um, The Supreme Court ruling about Obamacare came out yesterday. I Went on and I was depressed and I don't know that I was depressed because of it in itself I was more having an echo a reminder of how depressed I was the day that the first Roberts Obamacare ruling came out and I remember watching the news coverage live and i remember the reporters i mean you know what they do that these opinions just get dropped by the court and everybody just tries to read them and report on them as quickly as possible and these reporters are reading through it and at first they're saying The mandate was struck down because, of course, you know, they didn't uphold Obamacare because of the mandate as a mandate. Instead, they said it was a tax. And so you have this roller coaster that you're going through. The mandate is struck. Everything sounds great. And then you realize that the Bastard Roberts upheld it as a tax tax. Oh, OK, we have Chief Justice John Roberts is a different John Roberts. So maybe Chief Justice John Roberts. Now, see, the John Roberts in the chat room, who is our normal John Roberts, he is actually John Roberts. Now, I want to know the person who is signed in as Chief Justice John Roberts. Is your name actually John Roberts or are you a critic of Mr. Justice John Roberts? Of course, you're welcome in, in the latter case. But um, I'll have to call one the Chief Justice And I will have to call the other, our friend, John Roberts. So welcome, welcome. Um, But yeah, I think I was just having sort of a kind of a reminder of how depressing that first ruling was. And it turns out with my tweets out there, you know what it was? I I think um, everyone was talking about Scalia and his zingers because uh, one of the things Scalia said is now we should just call it SCOTUS care. Ha 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 and then somebody grabbed the SCOTUS care handle on Twitter and it was you know a big thing and everyone's quoting Scalia and how great Scalia's opinion is and I'm thinking too bad and I tweeted too bad that Scalia's zingers can't save us from what now seems apparently inevitable, which is socialized medicine and so then this woman Melanie something comes in and she says well Why would you want to be saved from socialized medicine? All the civilized countries have it and they love it. And I mean, we're talking all the usual arguments. So I went back and forth and back and forth and back and forth with her. So if you want to see just kind of a very, you know, the the form of the platonic form of the debate that you have with a proponent of socialized medicine, you can go look at my Twitter feed at Amy Peakoff and you can see the whole exchange that I had with this woman, I kind of tuned out of part of it for a while because she started getting into a debate with some other interloc- interlocutors. I can say that at this hour, interlocutors. Um, she was having a debate with some other people about the financial aspects of it. Well, other countries are less in debt because they have socialized medicine. We have a tremendous debt, but it's because of our military and there all these side issues. And I just kept bringing it back to the moral issue socialized medicine is a complete government takeover of medicine where the government forces you to behave in ways that are not according to your own judgment you want to go ahead and act according to your own free will your own individual judgment as to what is best you might be an insurance company a representative of insurance company you might be a doctor you might be a patient Etc. A hospital right Uh, someone who wants to invent a new drug a new medical device but what socialized medicine is going to do to all of these people is Force them to behave in ways that they would not have chosen if they were free to act according to their own individual judgment It's force That's what it is And I kept bringing it back to that. And, of course, she had no answer. She talked about the fact that, you know, people don't get bankrupt if you have socialized medicine. She says it costs less. Now, of course, the only way that adding force into the equation can make something cost less is if you actually prohibit the using of it. So, for example, in the state of California, you now have water restrictions people are supposed to cut their water now the cost of water i guess has gone down why because people are actually prohibited from consuming as much water as they used to are you supposed to be happy about this all your plants are dying similarly if you have all of these controls the ipab under obamacare what are you going to have you're going to have Maybe in some cases, less consumption of healthcare. maybe with respect to some people, less cost. But if you're going to have less cost, it's not going to be because you have any more efficiency. Efficiency comes through markets. Anybody with Economics 101 knows this. It comes through free markets, people acting according to their own choices and the, you know, the adjustments of supply and demand accordingly. So yeah, I had that whole debate, but in the end, you have to keep bringing it back To the moral issue and that's really why when you talk about the ruling over Obamacare a lot of people can say oh it was a really bad ruling and how is it that Roberts could have done this and everything else it is a poorly written law and we have right now both on the Supreme Court and throughout our legislative bodies We have people who are steeped in the morality of altruism. And so really what I took as the lesson of yesterday was this, even if you have a well crafted legal argument as the challengers in King versus Burwell, I'm sure had, these people are arguing, best attorneys arguing before the Supreme Court, even a well crafted legal argument is no match for an altruism fueled socialist policy, which is what Obamacare is. And now, of course, we can call it SCOTUS care. But it's you, you are not going to win the day just by very fine tuned legal arguments. And what Timothy Sandifer was pointing out was that, yes, even within the legislation itself, it is ambiguous. And when you have an ambiguity within a piece of legislation, it is fairly well within judicial discretion to try to resolve that ambiguity by looking through different parts of the legislation and trying as best they can to figure out what in the world the legislature was trying to do. Right now we're in a place where legislatures are doing way more than they ever should be contemplating and you have courts trying to figure out what the heck they were trying to do. With Obamacare the problem is particularly egregious. So being outraged at a particular you know, hair-splitting interpretation of this yeah. Not so much. We need to have our original outrage at the people who would have passed this in the first place um, There is one thing that I wanted to point out with respect to Roberts and his opinion and and, and by the way, um, there's I I'm going over to Volk conspiracy blog regularly to see what the really smart lawyers over there are saying about these opinions and i like this piece from Orrin kerr on the john roberts where he's pointing out that john roberts in 2005 said that the ultimate goal of interpreting a statute is quote to figure out what congress intended to figure out what congress intended so don't be surprised when you know in king versus burwell he tries to go ahead and resolve the ambiguity that's in the statute. In some place it says state, in some place it doesn't say state, it says something else. And so what does he mean? Does he mean that you actually can't pay the subsidies unless it's, the you know, the exchange is started by the state? He's not looking at any sort of legislative history. And why is that? Because apparently with this, the normal type of legislative history actually didn't exist. There was, as Oren Kerr pointed out, no conference report for the, A- the so-called ACA, Obamacare, to guide him, to guide Roberts. So what he does is he looks to the structure of the statute to identify its goals. And what Kerr writes is that by parsing the statute, he tries to figure out what... In the words he used in 2005 the sponsors really intended in the language and this is what he says in Burwell okay are you ready for this this is Roberts and then when you hear this part you're gonna say okay he is an idiot but listen he this is Roberts he says a fair reading of the legislation demands a fair understanding of the legislative plan he says Congress passed the Affordable Care Act to improve health insurance markets, not to destroy them. End quote. I read that again. This is Roberts. Roberts is drinking Kool Aid. Listen here. He says Congress passed the Affordable Care Act to improve health insurance markets, not to destroy them. End quote. Can you believe he believes this? No. This is so not true. Congress did pass the Affordable Care Act because, again, it took a majority, and the majority who voted for this crap, they did it to destroy health insurance markets. Their end goal is single payer, and the only way they saw to get from here to there is to pretend that they want to help health insurance markets while, in fact, destroying them. And if you integrate this, this is something else I tweeted about. Again, you know, sometimes follow me on Twitter. I have things to say, but... Um, if you integrate this with another story, one that I had shared on the Don't Let It Go on Her page a while ago, I'm not sure if I mentioned it on the show, but I saw a story about the fact that Anthem is about to acquire Cigna, a major, major competitor. And I don't know how they are nationwide. Um, But in California, you've got Anthem and Cigna as like two major components of the health insurance market. If one acquires the other, you have drastically reduced any sort of, quote, competition in health insurance. And I see it as a huge step toward single payer because you're consolidating that insurance market. It's entirely in their plan. It's destroying a market. It's creating a single provider. (sighs) So this idea that the Affordable Care Act is supposed to improve it, not destroy it. No way. You integrate what Roberts did here in continuing to uphold Obamacare with the developments that are already taking place as part of the plan to destroy our market for medicine. And you see, you just see that socialism is not far off. And and that's... I mean, that that was really the sobering thing that we got this week anyway he you know he says yeah they want what well, they want to improve the insurance markets not destroy them so if at all possible we must interpret the act in a way that is consistent with the former and avoids the latter and yes it is true that the insurance market will amble along a little bit longer if you keep the subsidies for even those states that chose not to set up an exchange that's true the insurance market will amble along a little bit longer that way. So that's uh, that's that's the story about him. But um, you know what? For Kerr says, Kerr says, you know, for the record, I don't have a view of whether Roberts is right about the statutory interpretation. He says he says I long ago decided to remain rationally ignorant about the merits of Burwell. That's Oren Kerr very smart legal mind, decided that he just wanted to step out. But he only wanted to point out that you shouldn't be surprised that Roberts is going to be somebody who, when an ambiguity arises in a statute, he's going to try to divine the intent of the legislature from whatever sources he can. It is too bad that there was not a conference report. And it is too bad that in that conference report, there wasn't the... Uh, statement from jonathan gruber if you remember there was a statement going around from gruber where gruber said that the reason that they put you know state-run exchange eligible for subsidy in the legislation the reason they did that was to encourage the states to have the exchange um and, and so that, that was actually a deliberate measure. They deliberately wrote a state-run exchange and left out any sort of federal-run exchange. Um, so it, it wasn't there. Roberts went for this. He upheld it again. No big surprise, but nonetheless, very depressing outcome this week. Uh, you guys here in the chat room are having a bit of a discussion there. Yeah, it's it's unbelievable," says Justine. That anyone, let alone Chief Justice Roberts, could say that the ACA has anything to do with improving markets. I mean, he's just taking them at you know face value. They say they want to save and improve the health insurance market. How you think you ever improve anything by adding force into the equation by making people act against their own best judgment? How that can be an improvement? I ask you. I ask you. Uh, it was funny. One of the exchanges that I had with this woman, this uh, Melanie woman, she was saying um, how healthcare, everything is a lot cheaper if you just take profit out of the equation. <laughs> and I said, well, you mean take profit out? It's like, well, if you take profit out of the equation, what are you taking out of the equation? You're taking morality out of the equation because what is profit profit is something that people earn due to the voluntary choices of two people trading on a free market you just what you take that away you just oh you know whatever and, and she, it's like she's playing a chess game with people's lives and their choices and their values And oh yeah well you just take the profit away over here and then look at how that nice math equation works out hey everything's peachy keen no morality, no profit, no morality. She doesn't care. What she cares about is that these people who have been very sick were not bankrupted by their illness. That's what she cares about. And I say, well, you know, I'm all for people not getting bankrupted, but they could get not bankrupted by means of private charity. And then you'd still preserve the morality of it. Mark in the chat room says, yeah, it sounds like she'd prefer slavery. If you want to comment on this or other Supreme Court opinions, go ahead and give me a call 760-888-5817. And if you do call, make sure if you want to talk, you go ahead and press one, but we should go ahead and talk a little bit about the marriage ruling. And I've got two different links for you over at the program notes. Again, go to don'tletitgo.com don't let it go.com is where you can always find program notes for the show. And one of the uh, links that I have for you is what's in the same sex marriage ruling. And then um, there's another one, and it's from Ilya Soman over at um, the Bollock Conspiracy blog. And he says, Well, it's a great decision, substantively, and I agree, but it's based on dubious reasoning. And this is the thing that is kind of troubling about what Kennedy did with this majority opinion, it's that, you know, and this is getting kind of technical, and it's, and I am no constitutional scholar at all, but typically with respect to something that you're going to call a fundamental right, and if you're going to talk about legislation, state or federal, that might infringe on a fundamental right that would violate someone's fundamental right, you would talk about a level of scrutiny that the legislation should get, right? So you'd say, well, if, if they're going to infringe a, a fundamental right, then they, it's got to have to have strict scrutiny and there needs to be the compelling state interest and the blah, blah, blah. And apparently, what Kennedy did in this opinion is he asserted the right to marriage for homosexuals as a fundamental right. And didn't talk about any particular level of scrutiny that he used and another you know there were uh, i think roberts in his dissent apparently invoked lochner versus new york several times saying basically that the only type of rationale that could have supported kennedy's majority opinion is the same rationale that upheld the right of contract in Lochner versus New York which is the famous 1905 case that upheld freedom of contract of course Lochner has been long overturned and repudiated by the court nonetheless apparently in the last couple decades there's been a bit of a rehabilitation of Lochner and i understand today in texas there was also a ruling in favor of economic freedom that might give some more fuel to that fire of you know reinvigorating Lochner but you know those people who say Oh, only a Lochner-type reasoning could have supported the majority opinion here in, um, you know, the the gay marriage case. Um, and it's so funny. I, I don't know how to even pronounce the plaintiffs. And it's really true. Everybody knows the name of King versus Burwell, but the other case we just all call it the uh, gay marriage case. And in fact, when Oren Kerr is talking about the the summary, he just says what's in the same-sex marriage ruling and goes on. He doesn't. <laughs> Um, but yeah, let me let me go ahead and, and click on the opinion and, and be a good journalist here and actually give you a name it's Oberschfell, I think Obergefell, is that how you would pronounce it? It's O-B-E-R-G-E-F-E-L-L versus Hodges and uh, That is the actual name of the gay marriage case as everybody is calling it But you know what what is in there? Um he talks about, you know, Justice Kennedy says that the Constitution is promising liberty to anybody, everybody. Um, we may not always see injustice in our own times. The Founding Fathers, in effect, weren't omniscient. And so that what we need to do is, as the generations go on, we need to learn what it is to enjoy liberty. We have to learn the meaning of liberty over time. And once we realize, in effect, that the meaning of liberty also encompasses the right of homosexuals to marry. Once we realize that, we need to go ahead and recognize it and protect it in the law. That's kind of the essence of what he's talking about. But he says that um, you know, if, if you're looking at marriage being a fundamental right, then Kennedy writes that this same analysis compels the conclusion that same-sex couples can exercise the right to marry as heterosexual couples. Why? Because there are four principles and traditions that demonstrate all the reasons that marriage is fundamental. They apply equally to both same-sex and heterosexual couples. And what are those traditions? Um, One is personal choice regarding marriage is inherent in autonomy there's all sorts of other individual decisions, contraception, family relationships, child rearing, et cetera, all protected by the uh, Constitution. Um, second principle, right to marry is fundamental because it supports a two-person union. Um, and it's unlike any other in its importance to the committed individuals. That's fine. A third basis safeguards children and families. And he talks about the fact that... Um, You know, if you give recognition to the legal structure of the parent's relationship, this allows the children, quote, to understand the integrity and closeness of their own family. And it's concord with other families in their community and in their daily lives, et cetera. It gives them permanency and stability. Um same-sex couples provide loving and nurturing homes, et cetera. And he has, you know, statistics and everything else where there's a number of same-sex couples who are raising children in, in stable relationships. Um, and then finally, uh, you know, it, it's that marriage is a keystone of our social order. Alexis de Tocqueville recognized that in America, um, the tie of marriage is more respected here, basically, than in other places, and so it's just a keystone of of our uh, of our country. So, you know, why would we discriminate on the basis of sexual orientation in the recognition of this? Now, of course, yeah, one answer is what Pigfan here in the chat room is typing right now. Um, one answer is to have the state not be involved in marriage at all. Uh, he says the state should just get out of marriage altogether. Then you have no more arguing, and that would be fine. But given that the state is involved, then why would you not allow two consenting adults who happen to be of the same sex to enjoy the same thing? Um, so, I mean, what do you what do you think of uh, of the ruling? Yay for the raisins, says Justine. Yeah, earlier in the week there was actually a really good ruling um, that if the you know if the legislature orders raisin farmers to keep raisins off the market, that in is in effect a taking, and they need to be treated accordingly. Which makes all of this price fixing, you know, actually have a lot more expense to it, and maybe makes our legislatures think a little bit more about this. Uh, the VOR says, why do we need to care what the SCOTUS declares? Uh, I mean, you need to care in the fact because it is going to affect people's lives. As I understand in Texas, there has already been announcements in some of the county you know, courthouses, et cetera, that they will be issuing marriage licenses for same-sex couples very soon. So you definitely care if you are a same-sex couple who lives in a state where gay marriage has not been recognized. You also care if you are an employer in any of those states where you might be required to give benefits to same-sex couples who are now married that you didn't have to do before. There's a lot to do. Um, VOR says there's uh, too much acceptance that it's okay to wait for the decisions of a central authority. You know, one of the fun tweets that I saw out there is, um, I guess there was this onions story. And it was something like, and I can't remember exactly the headline, but it was something like this. It was Supreme Court on gay marriage. Who cares? You know? Why would it just be like, okay, that's great. That's fine. Oh, sure. You know, um, that that's what it should have been. It shouldn't have been such a big deal. And like, Robert, you know, Roger Simon was tweeting out there, I think a lot of Republicans should have just realized this was a done deal. Now, I saw out there, I think somebody had shared this on Facebook. There's a pastor in Texas, I believe, who said he would light himself on fire in protest of this ruling, it just irks him so much, I guess. It disgusts him. I don't know what it is. He's decided this is so morally repugnant to him that gay marriage is recognized in our country that he needs to light himself on fire in protest. Now, just to kind of show you the sort of feeds that I have on my social media, the person who had posted it, I can't remember who it was, said, Oh, I will willingly send him the matches. Mm, Obviously, I don't want to see anybody light themselves on fire. Uh, Chief Justice John Roberts in the chat room here says, ooh, Texas Preacher Barbecue. To me, I just think this is pretty gross. And um, I would say, you know, uh, I I don't know. I I, I can't even come up with anything that is kind of for uh, prime time. Glenn Beck says there are 10,000 prepared to die for this? Oh, please no. Oh, please no. Prepared to die over gay marriage? I I just, I cannot believe people cannot just live and let live. It's not like, okay, the Supreme Court said that, you know, homosexuals can marry, and therefore you must marry a homosexual, and you, you, you must marry someone of the same sex. Muslims, maybe 10,000 Muslims are prepared to die for this. Certainly. 10,000 pastors prepared to die for this. Oh, my gosh. You know, Glenn Beck goes from being very good to completely crazy and then sometimes totally unreliable. I don't listen to Glenn Beck that closely anymore, but I remember there were a couple times you'd see some big headline on Drudge about Glenn Beck is going to release this thing. That's going to take down the Obama administration. It's so big tune in tomorrow. Oh my gosh, you won't believe it. And then you tune in and there's nothing, absolutely nothing. So no, Um, but you know, so, so what, what is, what is the issue with the reasoning In the opinion that everyone thinks is so horrible and and by the way, I have selectively kept myself ignorant Of any ted cruz hanging, you know hand wringing over the reasoning in these uh, Opinions, I know that ted cruz is himself against Same-sex marriage. So if i'm going to hear somebody talk about the dubious reasoning in this case, I'd much rather hear it from somebody who is actually substantively sympathetic to what happened. And that's what you get over at the Volokh Conspiracy blog. Uh, Ilya Soman writes that it's a great result, but it's based on dubious reasoning. Undoubtedly, he says a momentous occasion for gays and lesbians. Um, so, So this is very good. Unfortunately, he says much of Justice Anthony Kennedy's majority opinion is based on dubious and sometimes incoherent logic so he says uh first of all with with respect to referencing the due process clause he says kennedy emphasizes that it's a fundamental right under the due process clause of the 14th amendment and he says the court has indeed long held that marriage is a fundamental right and few would dispute kennedy's claim that quote the institution is at the center of many facets of the legal and social order end quote but then Soman says, the standard test for identifying a fundamental right is that the right must be, quote, deeply rooted in this nation's history and tradition, end quote. And he says, you can't argue that with respect to. I just set off my Siri here. Sorry. You can't argue that with respect to same sex marriage. It's not deeply rooted in this nation's history and tradition. So that's one part. so So what happens is you see Kennedy adopting the fundamental right language that comes from the due process clause of the 14th Amendment, but with none of the apparatus, he's not able to show that same-sex marriage is deeply rooted. Now, what he can do is he can say, well, marriage is deeply rooted, and here you're depriving a particular group of marriage based on a Discrimination that in effect violates equal protection and that seems to be the direction in which that he's you know in which in which he's gone Um, He says Kennedy's analysis of the due process clause uh, Also tries to cabin the scope of his reasoning by emphasizing that the fundamental right to marriage is limited to quote a two-person union unlike any other and its importance to the committed individuals and Why would it be only two people and not polygamous, for example? I I think I saw a number of articles out there kind of speculating, okay, let's have polygamy now. Why not? Um, He says the basis for the limitation is not clearly explained as well. Then linking due process and equal protection. He says he doesn't rely on due process alone. He tries to connect due process clause with equal protection. Um, he says the right of same-sex couples to marry is part of the liberty promised by the Fourteenth Amendment, and it's also derived from equal protection of the laws. And that's thats what I see it. It is, you know, due process clause. It, we have a fundamental right, which is marriage, and equal protection says you're not going to be deprived of that fundamental right due to a, you know, in in effect, invidious discrimination. Um, So here's Roberts on the issue of what they call invidious discrimination. Uh, Quote, it is now clear that the challenge laws burden the liberty of same-sex couples, and it must be further acknowledged that they abridge central precepts of equality. Here, the marriage laws enforced by the respondents are in essence unequal. Same-sex couples are denied all the benefits afforded to opposite-sex couples and are barred from exercising a fundamental right, especially against the long history of disapproval of their relationships. This denial to same-sex couples of the right to marry works a grave and continuing harm. So again, you know, if you say, okay, given that the state is involved in marriage, why would you deny this to same-sex couples when you've allowed heterosexual couples to have this now uh, to me You know speaking as myself Amy Peacock, I would not have the state involved in marriage at all, but given that it is why would you deny this? Um, now So writes that all of this is true in terms of the um, the harm to uh, same-sex couples, etc He says this is true as a matter of historical fact Um And he says the longstanding exclusion of gays and lesbians from the right to marry was surely linked to the severe prejudice against them and the many injustices they were subjected to. It's also true that exclusion from marriage harms gays and lesbians in a variety of ways, he says, but usually even laws that harm people severely only get minimal, quote, rational basis scrutiny under the equal protection clause. And he says, this is a highly permissive standard of review that laws banning same-sex marriage could likely pass. He says, discriminatory laws are only subject to a higher level of scrutiny if they are based on a, quote, suspect classification such as race or sex. Gay rights advocates have argued that it does, you know, discriminate on the basis of sex. And he agrees with this. Um, But Kennedy only hints at this argument. But he doesn't say it explicitly. And this is why Soman says this is a, a big problem. You have a ruling that comes out correctly, but doesn't adopt the full measure of the reasoning that should support that ruling. So he's saying here, you should say that when you are banning same-sex marriage, You are discriminating on the basis of sex, which is traditionally in the court's language, a suspect classification, and that's why it should be invalidated. But Kennedy did not say that. So Kennedy got the result that he wanted, didn't use any of the court's traditional reasoning for cases that come under, for instance, due process and equal protection. And this is the problem. It basically leaves everybody at sea. You know, next time there's a case coming up that you know, a right that hasn't really been upheld before and stuff, you know, what sort of framework is the court going to use? Is it going to use rational basis scrutiny? Um, What is it going to classify, you know, other things that homosexuals are arguing for? Is the discrimination going to be on the basis of sex or is it not? Who knows? Um, In previous gay rights decisions, Kennedy apparently And I'm reading from Soman again. Uh, Kennedy has suggested that discriminatory laws should get a kind of heightened rational basis scrutiny if they're in large part motivated by animus. And he says many uh, observers, myself included, thought that he might adopt a similar rationale in today's decision. However, Kennedy did not use the word animus And he didn't talk at all about the level of scrutiny that applies in this case. He gave no guidance. It's just like classic pragmatism, you know, the uh, right, because in effect, people demand it. We are going to be satisfying the multitudes of demands. Of course, it's cloaked in the language of liberty and understanding what the meaning of liberty is fully over time, which is something that I'm sympathetic to. I'm very sympathetic with the idea that the founders did not fully understand what rights were or who possessed them. Otherwise, they wouldn't have had slaves. They wouldn't have put any concessions to slavery into our founding documents. I'm I'm sympathetic to that, to this idea that we do understand things more fully over time and that it is right for us to apply that understanding of the concepts in the cases we face today. This is all good. But Kennedy does that, but then he doesn't really apply the various legal categories that the court has been holding to in precedent you know in this type of case and you know what you would say is either apply the language that the court is supposed to use for this sort of ruling under the due process and equal protection etc go through the level of scrutiny and declaring what it is or declare that you're not doing that and explain why so this is the problem and um I'm sure that that is why someone like Ted Cruz would also criticize it. I just, I really like Ted Cruz. And in fact, I put at the very end of the program notes for today as the good news item. And I just think you should all watch this. It's a, I think about 17 minutes Worth of Cruz. He is in what they call the center seat on this show with Brett Baer on Fox News. And all of the different people, some of them liberals, some of them conservatives, are grilling Cruz about various topics. And I think Cruz does an excellent job on all the stuff that they're talking about. Um, They don't talk about. The same-sex marriage issue, luckily for Uh, Cruz. I enjoyed watching it. There was only one issue where I thought, okay, he fudged a little bit and I would have liked to have seen him give a straight answer. And that was the Confederate flag issue. And we'll talk about that in a minute, but everything else in terms of foreign policy and what he would do about ISIS and what is a president's job with respect to the military policy and talking about what he do as president versus not. So for example, should a presidential candidate talk about how many troops he thinks he should commit in order to destroy ISIS? He says, no, that's not a president's job. The president tells you what the mission is. He declares what the objective is. And he asks his military advisors to tell him, How best that objective can be achieved and what level of troops and everything else so that politicians who are saying, you know, how many troops should go here or there, whatever. He thinks they're kind of talking out of their something I don't want to say right now. So um, I don't want to watch Ted Cruz talk about this, but. I imagine that the sort of errors and reasoning that Ilya Somin over here on the Fala Conspiracy blog is pointing out are the same sorts of things that Cruz would point out. The difference is I can stomach Ilya Somin when he's talking about this because he, like me, is sympathetic to the cause of, of gay marriage. And so he said he likes the outcome, but not the reasoning. And I feel importantly. You know, just repeat it here for the record again, the same way about Roe versus Wade. Roe versus Wade upheld a women's right to abortion on a terrible, nearly non-existent foundation. Uh, Nothing like what it should have been. And again, that was a very pragmatic decision. And look at the consequences. It has put the right to choose to have an abortion at risk ever since. And at some point, maybe if we end up having a President Cruz, which in so many ways I think would be great, we'd be at risk of actually losing that right. Maybe not. Maybe not. You know, especially with people like Kennedy and, and the other justices on the court. But we might. Now I do have one of the people who is sitting here on the board here has highlighted the icon. You're on the air. Hello. Yeah, who's this?
1: Hi. Hello, Amy. Uh, John Kenny here.
2: Oh, hi, John. Thanks for calling in again.
1: Sure, sure. Uh, Say, I like uh, Ted Cruz, but I'll tell you, I'm going with Carly Fiorina. Mm. Uh, Two reasons. Um, I I think the uh, modern-day electorate is so utterly stupefied by generations of government education and propaganda that no white male Republican can win. I know Ted Cruz kind of... Hispanic, but that's too close to being white. In fact, he's already been smeared as a white Hispanic. Okay. Mm. And the other guys are okay. Uh, Rand Paul is it's just too short and slight to win. He can't win because of his size and he's white Republican.
2: That's just so sad. That is just sad to say, yeah. okay, because well, of his physical stature, he can't win. Yeah,
1: I mean, he is really short. I don't know if you've ever seen him. He, he's like like a little boy. But anyway,
0: Mm.
1: uh, Carly Fiorina, I saw her on Hannity last night, and she is really sharp. I think she gives mostly good answers. She's much smarter than Hillary. She can attack Hillary. Uh, She's not afraid to attack Hillary, which I think a lot of Republicans are. Okay? But the main thing is is this stupefied election we got. There's going to be millions of people that are going to be voting for Hillary because she's a woman. And they're, they're going to think, it's time for a woman president. Now, the only way you can overcome that is by running a woman. And, and I right. think Carly is, is, is the one.
0: I'm sorry.
2: Okay. Oh. No, I mean How I you- that I I am yeah, definitely okay. open to watching that appearance. Um if you want to go ahead and either you can share a link here in the chat room, send it over to my blog, post it on the Don't Let It Go on her page whatever. If you've got a link to that interview, I I would love to watch it. Um if you watch it on TV, I can probably dig it up. You know, I'm sure that yeah. Fox has got it on their on their site. But yeah, I've I've heard some decent things from her. But I, I need to, to see more. Maybe we'll do a show, an entire show on her. I know that Tammy has had her on as an interview. I don't know if I could, you know, somehow finagle Fiorina to get on the show. But yeah. that would be fun, too.
1: Well, you know, one thing she said that no other Republicans have said, regarding a tax plan, she you want the three-page tax plan to, rep- to replace the 70000 or whatever? That's good. Nice. But she also said... She wants a plan that uh, results in decreasing revenues. If you can follow this, now everybody else wants a tax plan that increases revenue. You know, mm-hmm. like the classic Laffer curve and all that. Carly's saying she wants to decrease revenue, and I, I'm thinking about it. I said, that is a great idea. That really right. slapped Congress up the head. Say no, you're not going to have more money for this. you're going to have less money. Okay. And she right. also wants to eliminate baseline budgeting. I haven't heard the other guys uh, say that, but that's that's a real thorn in the side for controlling spending. You know what that's? Oh is yeah, baseline, definitely because every
2: everything is everything is judged by whatever you spent before versus scratching right. it well, out yeah. and, then, and just,
1: yeah, all the debate is how can I increase my baseline? you know, is it seven percent? is it eight percent? and that thing gets slapped to five percent, then you bis and cut by three percent. You know, you know Stuart Hi-
2: Stuart Stuart Hayashi cool. here in the chat room is pointing out, and I didn't know this. Carly Fiorina was a student under Objectivist management psychologist Edwin Locke. Had you heard that?
1: Oh, great! I did not yeah. hear that. No, I, I want to hear hmm. more about her and uh, the Nevada caucuses. I'm I'm called from Nevada. I'm going to be there screaming for her. Uh, that'll be next year. Okay. Yeah, unless unless I cha- unless I change my mind. So
2: okay, well, I'm I'm do certainly do. opening. I'm open to listening to her. Um, you know, the, the, I mean, I, I, so, many, so many people, I think we've got a lot of people on the bandwagon that we do not want a Jeb Bush, for example. But oh you
1: know, there are still you know, so many it, people it, it who points, think
2: it. I was gonna say so many people still it, think p- that it's got to be like Rubio, or it's got to be Scott Walker. And how can yeah. we get people out of that and go to somebody maybe completely different?
1: yeah well, if it's if, I'll tell you if it's Bush, anybody named Bush versus Clinton, I'm abstaining. I'll cast a ballot, but there's not going to be a vote there. Same with right. Clinton versus uh, Christie. I'm not that's an abstain too. So yeah. I, you know because there's just no there's just no telling which would be worse,
2: yeah, we should have a mailing campaign to the GOP and let's all tell them that that we're abstaining. I mean, and, and this is one of the things that Cruz talks about in his center seat, you know, appearance is he says, you've got to have a, a candidate who will bring out all of the passionate people who came to the polls and voted for Reagan. How are you going to get those people to the polls? Could we also get those people to the polls for a Fiorina versus a Cruz? And do I like, you know, Fiorina's constellation of positions as much as I like cruises? electability plays some role in there, but no, it's, it's a good suggestion. And I'll, I'll go ahead and take a look at her, John.
1: Okay. Thanks a lot.
2: Thanks. Take care. Thanks for calling in. And I do have another call here. Let me grab it. Hi, who's this? It's Bosch. Oh, Hey Bosch. How are you?
0: Good. Uh, tech Cruise was, tech Cruz was listening in and he heard John and he's going to get a sex change. <laughs> Um,
2: was, said, I was—I was going to ask I you, by the way, you. you know what—what what are you this week? Because last week you called in, and I think you announced that you are now a, a black woman. Was that what you were last week? Yeah. So, yeah, what are now you now?
0: You went back. I went you back, went back being, okay, um, I went back. No, I went back to be Muslim because I'm in Mecca. Oh, right so yeah, I'm Mecca and Saudi Arabia.
2: Yeah. So, yeah. Now, I wanted to ask you, I've got one of the stories um, on the program notes, and it's actually the one from your blog about yeah. this comic book legal defense fund. Um, yeah. j- just really quickly before that, though, I did share, uh, share a story about the, the so-called Confederate flag. Um, mm-hmm. Mark Stein points out that it really is a Democratic problem. That The Democrats have a long link to this flag, et cetera. Uh, yeah, do you I'm- agree with do you agree with me that they should get rid of the Confederate flag from any governmental association? Like, yes, you know, remove it from any sure. of the state, you know, courthouses and legislative buildings know, and everything yeah, but, in, in South Carolina, sure. right? Yeah.
0: Right. But but you know what? You know, you know, the thing is, they they want to erase their racist past, They're racists the Democrats. Right. I mean, that's what they want to do they want to pretend that they were not the party of racism, party of slavery, party of Jim Crow, the party of the Confederate flag. They want to pretend that they weren't and right. they cannot be made to get away with it. But of course, Republicans are helping them get away with it. Because why? Because they're Republicans. Because they suck. Right. Right. But they want to erase this from existence that they, that that is their flag. And uh, it's just, it's sickening.
2: Yeah. And I i mean, this de- definitely, I think you should get rid of this symbol from and, and disassociate it from any governmental association. But, also, but, but the yeah. thing that's getting ridiculous is all of the private companies uh, who uh, have decided that, like, for instance, I think that the Confederate apple. flag the Confederate flag like appears in some games or something and yeah, you can't apple, have it even apple. appear in a game. I mean, what if it's the bad guys who have the Confederate flag yeah. in a game? Why about, can't you just how about have the, that there?
0: How about, how about the Nazi flag? That can't be in movies anymore. It can't right. be in call books. If you, you know, to fight Nazis. Oh no. Because, that, because what? It represents evil. Yes. Well, but and, and pig, the, you know, pig, I mean, look, pig fan,
2: sorry, the thing pig, is, pig fan. Wait, sorry. just one sec pig, pig fan here in the chat room says, I wouldn't be surprised if flags of Muslim countries are still available on the websites that ban the Confederate flag. I mean, really you, you have to take in context. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, so I mean, we're, we're in agreement on this and I I don't think it's that controversial. Um, It's good. It's good. It's good if the government is taking it down. It's bad. I think if people are going overboard and not, you know, keeping it anywhere at all. I mean, what are you going to do? You're going to wipe it completely from history? Now, I think well, it's it, true on, that hold on, hold it, on, it, it should not be treated with respect.
0: That's the point. No, but that's yeah. the point. The Democrats want to wipe this from history. They don't want to be associated with it. They have never they have never right. made, made peace with their racist past. And that's why I say they are erasist. They want to erase, <laughs> e- erase their racism. Yeah, that, that's what like awesome. They are erasist. They want to erase their racist past. And racist president but now they're they 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 uh, they uh, I guess covered themselves with their the civil rights party They never were the Civil rights party. more Republicans right. voted for the Civil rights Act than Democrats they were for you know more freedom and then they said, okay, well let's just uh, do that for political gain and it worked and Republicans the idiots don't understand the, their own history of the Democrats history I'm not to talk about it. But anyway, it's 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 just not a big issue, but the, the media has tried to make it the ultimate issue. And if you know it's right now, where is it right now? It's gone. I mean the way, right. the way I See, I mean because of the of the of the decisions yesterday and today. So now that's that's in the back burner. But the fact right. is it's a Democrat flag and they need to come out and say yes, it was our flag, it was our part of our horrific racist past and we reject it. But they they would never say that. They pretend right. that it's that I mean, just that
2: like just just like Kennedy says, OK, I'm throwing our traditional reasoning and due process and equal protection yeah. cases out of the window. I'm not really using it. Right. I'm doing something different, but I'm not going to tell you exactly what I'm doing either. Now, right. as I recall, Scalia is a little bit guilty of this as well in some of his Fourth Amendment stuff where he wasn't right. quite as explicit about what he was doing in these cases where he seemed to be bringing back a certain old style of reasoning. was this a separate option? Is this going to replace what we were doing before? you know, judges the if they <laughs>
0: Wait, well, the no
2: I mean not 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 <laughs> penumbras but but you know Kennedy's doing almost the penumbra thing, right but um, I, I just we all wish that if a justice is going to you know depart from the traditional ways the the ways in precedent of doing certain cases of analyzing them that they would explicitly tell you what they're doing and right. why and apparently Kennedy right. didn't do that democrats would like to get rid of this flag without telling you exactly why and how they're doing Absolutely. it and acknowledging their role in it but let, let's go on let's go on to the comic book legal defense fund first tell everybody what is the comic book legal defense fund what is this organization
0: well, when i first when i first heard about it was years ago there was uh i think the name was mike diana it was a a, a comic book uh, store owner who had some comic books in there which i guess had a, i guess some explicit uh, explicitly pornographic images and he got arrested and mm. um, so basically that's how the organization began they, they started to defend Comic book store owners, comic book uh, artists from, you know, uh, from being uh, brought in charged for certain things. And um, I can't get into the, the details of it. I mean, it's pretty vague, but I,
2: basically protecting a, the First Amendment rights yeah, of
0: yeah, well, comic book owners, you know, com- comic store owners, well, at least, at least that was their intent. Not much of store owners, cartoonists, and, right. I mean, every anything, anything have to do with the with the comic book industry, professionals, whether it be the store owners or the cartoonists or the publishers, so that was the idea that they're going to protect freedom, right? And right. Uh, so I became a member of their of theirs, you know, for like probably last decade. I don't know over the years. I'm a like literally a card carrying member of the C B D L the C B L D Comic Book Legal Defense Fund. So uh, I'm looking on the uh, all day online. On my app, on my iPad, and uh, I see this uh, CBLDF publication called Defender, and I was like, "All right, cool. I'll just pick it up." So I pick it up, and I see on the cover they have the issue is focused on cartoonists under fire, and I was like, "Okay," and I I must have clearly thought about myself. So okay, Garland. I'm looking through. I don't see anything about Garland. I don't see anything about me. I don't see anything except an Iranian artist with a piece. Sign um, while well, her fingers are gonna get a peace sign it's two pages long and uh, I I was pissed I was flat-out pissed off.
2: now now uh, again This is this is a comic book legal defense fund So what if somebody argues to you playing devil's advocate that really what they're about doing is mounting a legal defense for cartoonists and so you know, you don't need legal defending. You basically need physical okay. defending, and, and they're not the Army.
0: Okay. Well, in, on their one, on their website, they announced the Defender uh, comic book series, I guess you want to call it. It's a newsletter, mm-hmm. digital print, and they announced it as a, a new free quarterly news magazine coming to you from the front lines of the fight for free speech. It's uh, basically about free speech. It's about uh, talking about free speech, defending it. Uh, whether legally or just uh, in print, just in their, you know, at, advocating for it. So this now, is, have they, this, have this, they, is, have
2: they discussed? Have they discussed under P- other people who have been attacked, like you were in Garland, um, but maybe who weren't actually getting legal defense from CBLDF?
0: Well, uh, they cited I think Molly Norris only in a very passing way in the piece that they had about Garland because. Because what happened is I look at this. I don't see any reference to me whatsoever. And I'm part of the CBLDF. I I always figured maybe down the line I might get in trouble. You know, who knows what's out there and, you know, for them to back me up. And now I realize that they back up only, I believe, certain individuals, meaning leftists if you're not well a lesbian, so like not for instance sure what did feel. what did what did
2: they do you said you said they had an iranian cartoonist in there so they obviously yeah. weren't representing her did they say they were representing her in some legal way
0: i don't i don't know i don't know i, I haven't heard anything about that i've read about this and then this and then, then what about,
2: about um, did they did they uh, talk about charlie hebdo did they support charlie
0: hebdo Yes, it did. In, in the first issue of Defender, which came out I mean, a couple months ago, they had a two-page piece about it, and they called him the defiant Charlie Hebdo. See, Charlie Hebdo, as as I wrote about their defense of them, they basically say that uh, I said I checked to see if they wrote about Charlie Hebdo, and of course they did, writing about the, the defiant Charlie Hebdo in a sympathetic piece. Charlie Hebdo are Islamophobes, but they're leftist Islamophobes, so damn it, so you know that's okay with them, and that's the thing. Uh, they were ir- respectable. Uh, uh, Islamophobes quote-unquote you know I mean and where where's I I mean I'm I, I'm on the rights there's I'm nakedly on the rights I am anti-leftist
1: so right. therefore
0: I am not to be defended no matter even if I'm being shot at literally because when they get it when, when they have a piece called cartoonist under fire and do not have a cartoonist who's literally under fire they're full of crap and I called right. them out on it and I, I'm really pissed off and I had, I had two interactions with the one with the executive director, Charles Brownstein, and another one, Mitchell Ger, um, Berger, who was uh, one of the founding uh, members of the uh, organization. And uh, both both of our exchanges sucked. It didn't really get anything out of it. And one of them um, tried to suggest, well, it was covered. Garland was covered on their website. I go on their website, right. no mention of me. Again, I'm a member of CBODF. I'm a cartoonist. I'm an Eisner award nominee. I've been to events with CBLDF. I have met Charles Brownstein on a number of occasions.
1: Right.
0: Uh, so this is just, they try to, like the left is doing with the confession that they try to erase me from existence. And I with mean, it. there's, there's a,
2: there's a couple things. I mean, first of all, they already have taken on the role of doing more than providing quote legal defense because they Absolutely. have spoke, they, they have spoken in support of Charlie. these Abdel- other the cart these, these other cartoonists who are who are coming under attack even if it, the, also, you know the America. attack is not from a government right?
0: right yes I think about this also uh, they're leftists so they're to me they're fundamentally anti-American. so this is why they can't wait to defend the French cartoonists and the Iranian cartoonists. American cartoonist who draws uh, Muhammad, especially if he's not not leftist, he is to be completely ignored. Completely ignored. And the only piece that they had on their site about Garland, it was a critical piece about Pamela Geller. No mention of the the cartoon, no mention of the nature of the event, that it was a free speech event. And they thought they could get away with it, and they're not. Speaking of...
2: Yeah, yeah. I, I definitely recommend that people go to Pamela Geller's site, PamelaGeller.com, and see the piece that she did about CBLDF. Pig. I, under- I understand that arts. she was very livid. She was very livid. Oh, yeah. um, Pig fan.
0: Cartoonish hypocrites.
2: Yeah. Here in, the, here in the chat room, Pigfan Fan is asking whether you heard that the Southern Poverty Law Center has done Posters of women including Pamela Geller and Brigitte Gabriel who stand up to Islam I guess basically they're making fun of them or something a hit list.
0: I mean they do put uh, Quote-unquote hate groups by the way the Southern Public Law Center uh, Has made me a quote-unquote hate group an individual all, by yeah. all by
2: yourself all by yourself, you know imagine yeah, they say I, that one person can do nothing You can group. be a hate group. You can be a yeah. one-man. hate. Anyway, apparently megan kelly Yes, she has not displayed your Muhammad cartoon that we know of, Mrs. but Wait, sorry,
0: Mrs. independent.
2: Yeah, yeah. But Megan Kelly was apparently talking about the Southern Poverty Law Centers doing this, you know, hit stuff on Geller and, and Brigitte Gabriel. And apparently she whooped the liberal guest. That is a quote, a direct quote from Pig Fan Action. here in the Blog Talk Radio chat room that Megyn Kelly Action. whooped the liberal guest. So that's good news to hear. Uh, Pig Fan, that if is. you do have a, um, a link to a video clip, we always love to watch Megyn Kelly whooping liberal guests about free speech. I think that's awesome. So She's if people want to read speech, more... I Fosh, if uh, if people job want job. to read, if, if if people want to read more about your run-in with CBLDF, they go to your blog at don'tletitgo.com. No,
0: oh, yeah. Sorry, my
2: blog is don'tletitgo.com. Yours is fausten.blogspot.com. I guess I'm getting tired. This means I'm getting tired because I'm saying mine is. One yours. thing,
0: though. Also, uh, one thing. Anyone uh, kind of who's listening, in terms of you know, you, you brought up Meg Kelly. Um, I have a piece called um, what What do you call it? I'm sorry. One second. One second. It's called, uh, if the media supported free speech, dot, 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 dot. And you can see visually what I mean. If the media uh. supported free speech. And also one thing, Kurt Wilders tried to get, uh, try to get me to Europe at this event to a gallery to show Muhammad cartoons, you know, specifically mine. And, right. uh, that fell through because they wouldn't do it. The, uh, the, uh, parliament would not do it. So then he tried to get on television and they blocked it last week, and then they, but they finally put it out this week. Hundreds of thousands of people have viewed Muhammad cartoons, including mine, on Dutch TV.
2: On Dutch national TV, so, not on our television, but on no. Dutch TV,
1: and, they and can I see, see it.
0: it. It's, it's on my blog. It's on YouTube. It's all over. And even yep. some uh, some uh, magazines in Europe have, uh, you know, at, at least websites have shown the visual of my cartoon on television, talking about it, which is pretty cool so europe has shown more grit, more steel than america in this and it's uh, it's pathetic and this is this is an american event garland
2: now pig fan has put the link over here in the chat room let me see i don't know if i i would be able to okay i think i can copy it i think i can copy it I'm hoping I can copy it and save this link. That would be very good. Um, if you also want Pig Fan, if you could go to the Don't Let It Go Unheard page on Facebook and post it there, pretty please with, I don't know, um, but pretty please. That would be wonderful.
0: So, one, one last so
2: oh, yeah, go ahead, Bosh.
0: Okay. Just, uh, you know, uh, Marvel Comics right now, uh, just, just record, they're, they are super diverse. I mean, they should be called diversity comics. Uh, so right. Spider-Man is black. Captain America is black. Uh, Hulk will be Asian. Thor is a woman. Wolverine will be a woman. So they've really, really embraced this crap. And, uh, you know, at least it's playing of the story because right now it's all about critical diversity. Story comes second or third, if if at all. So I just tweeted something out there to, to uh, Marvel and, and the critical the white guys behind this because they're all white guys. I said, hey, critical white guys at Marvel, when you're done changing all of your superheroes, black, female, gay, Muslim, etc., you should be replaced by same. So why don't they? Right. They're replacing all the quote kind of white her- heroes with uh, other heroes. So why don't they replace themselves with you know now?
2: Woman, now a, a tell, sexual, tell you
0: know.
2: Wasn't wasn't there somebody pretty big in comics this week who actually came out on the right side of this stuff? Who was it?
0: Tell me. I I'm I'm, I'm forgetting there was,
2: a, there was a revered Stan personage. Lee. Yes, Stan
0: the man Lee. They, I wanted they, to say they, Stanley, but they, I want to be stupid he, and forget yeah. who it was. <laughs> he would no. He was the grown up in a room and said, "Guys, guys, guys. I mean, Peter Parker's white, Black Panther's black. You know, let them remain what they are. You want to create new black characters, new homosexual characters, new female characters? Create new characters. Stop piggybacking on the old characters, because in a lot of ways, they're these characters. They're they're not earning the right to be these heroes." Just by, I mean, and Marvel is just trying to basically, Marvel is telling us, look, if we put a new homosexual character out there, a new black character out there, he won't sell. You know, we, we know that. See, and, and really like,
2: all of this, all of this where they're doing this to these old characters is just the latest and most horrendous version Of this piggybacking on old people's work because people have been piggybacking on old people's work for forever. But now, what they're doing is they're using people's work to basically promote the values that were opposite than the original creators were actually trying to promote in some cases, not in all cases, obviously. Not
0: in all cases, but in some. But okay, okay, Miss Marvel, Miss Marvel, she was um, Hero Marvel, right? An American. Now she, now Miss Marvel has been adopted by a Muslim Pakistani, and you know, in the Marvel Universe, who has superpowers, right? But she right. never has, and never will fight those who quote-unquote perverted evil right. Right. right, right. So she, she's been around right. about, about two years now. So meaning, it's an unearned reputation that she's adopted. I mean, she's she, she's not Miss Marvel, no matter right. what Marvel says. Uh, it's like this, right. the, the quote-unquote creator of the blacks. Spider-Man, Brian Brian uh, he said, basically, this is the real Spider-Man, okay? Okay? This has to be the real one, meaning...
2: I mean in 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 so in so in so many ways it's it's also this primacy of consciousness idea It's like all we have to do is just declare That (laughs) this is it and and and, you know and mind you it is it is fiction It is fiction, but they're basically trying to erase the fact that there was a creation By somebody else that preceded it a creation of a character that had a particular identity Let's just you know make it whatever we want because
1: of Origin,
0: and, and this, this is this where he's referring to him as my creation. My creation, Spider-Man is not your creation. Mm-hmm. Miles Morales is. You could have Miles Morales become any superhero you want, but you wanted to piggyback on this character. Mm-hmm. And also, right. you know, he uh, he revealed to Daily News this is how this is how irrational this guy is about uh, diversity. He said he was in a store and his daughter put on Spider-Man and said, "I'm Spider-Man." He said he started crying. Why? Because his daughter is going to grow up in a world with a black Captain America, a black Spider-Man, and a female Thor. This is right. what we're dealing with there. This is the mentality. Right. Right. And look, yep. I mean, within within a story, you could have a black character take over a, a certain thing. But if, if that's meaning, that has happened before. Th- 20, 30 years ago, James Rose took over for Iron Man. It was a, an organic story. Uh, uh, Tony Stark could not be Iron Man. He took on the mantle. It, it, it was organic. It was real. But now... Think about it. Black Spider-Man, Black Cat America, Asian Hulk, female Thor, female Wolverine, all at the same time. This is an agenda. It's not an organic you know, thing that's happening. It's an absolute leftist, hardcore agenda of unmaking Marvel Comics.
2: Well, and um, you tweeted something earlier about Marvel. Marvel had some weird thing happen huh. to them recently. What was it?
0: Yeah. Well, there was a, the, uh, the talent scout for Marvel. Is this, is this what you're talking about?
2: Yes, I think so.
0: Okay. Go ahead. General Scout from Marvel said that uh, these two guys who who won this, I guess, informal competition uh, to, for uh, for Marvel, were he, uh, they were offered jobs. And both of them had not re- replied. And this guy was really shocked. So <laughs> I wrote back. I said, well, well, maybe they've been reading current Marvel comics. <laughs> With their like?
2: With I, I still I still don't believe stuff. actually that these guys would not respond and get a job because anybody in the comic book industry is basically dying for any kind of a real job, I would assume. And even if the comics are bad, bad, i I mean, and and why would you why would you knowingly participate in the competition if you didn't want a job? But I that's another I i've i've got I've got a couple stories that I want to um talk about before the end of the show one of them is something right. that is right up your alley if you want to stay on for it it's up to you It it's a well, story i gotta get on the run of-
0: i'm in mecca and the people just found out where i am <laughs> so i gotta get on the run but i will listen while, while okay
2: i i i appreciate it bosh thanks for calling in right. and we'll uh we'll talk to you next time Okay, so this story is actually right up uh, Bosch's alley, so hopefully he does continue to listen. It is from Bloomberg View, and the headline is FBI rounding up Islamic State suspects. And this is just a continuation of a story that we've been sort of following ever since Garland has happened, which is that um, what Pamela Geller did in Garland by organizing this contest in essence has helped to flush out information about a vast sort of network or at least give FBI information about how some of the so-called lone wolves, which are not anything like lone, um, but how they're in effect recruited and, and wooed by ISIS, if you could even call it that, here. Uh, and so, what they say is one thing for sh- what they, they've done recently is they have shifted their emphasis from they used to just sur- uh, surveil these people who they thought were sort of suspects. And now they've shifted towards arresting them sooner rather than later. I guess seeing that maybe their primary goal is not necessarily to go and join ISIS in the Middle East, that they're actually taking seriously isis call to commit attacks here in united states so they're shifting focus the fbi is shifting focus to looking at people who might intend to commit attacks here which is you know reassuring it's good to see um, they say that so far they have arrested 10 individuals since may 3rd and that there may have been more arrests as well that haven't been announced we just haven't even heard the the total amount um they say uh this is john carlin the assistant attorney general for national security he says quote lately we have seen an uptick in the number of arrests of isil followers who are planning violent acts in our homeland Uh, they say isil differing from some other foreign terrorist organizations okay uh has demonstrated that they see value in mobilizing sympathizers anywhere in the world end quote i guess that's as opposed to al-qaeda but I don't know if that's even true. Um, I'd like to know what other terrorist organizations they're talking about. Um, They say the shift to arrest versus surveillance has downsides because if you use surveillance, then you can keep gathering more intelligence. Um, The other thing, of course, you can do if you don't arrest as quickly is you can, once you arrest them, have a much better case Against the particular offenders. So I, you know, this is a problem, you know, with kind of law enforcement like this, where especially they see themselves as dealing within the scope of normal criminal law, as opposed to, for example, declaring war. Right. Um, because what they're doing is they're having to build a traditional case against these people, and so if they arrest them sooner, yes, of course, they potentially will keep people more safe in the short run, and yet then they may not have as good a case against the individual as if they, you know, were following and surveilling the individual for a longer time. Uh, the other thing that the story talks about is that there are so many people that they should be watching and potentially arresting out there that it's hard to even say that you have enough resources and that in fact what we should be doing is going to the source Um, we actually need to be eliminating isis another big problem is that the uh you know the recruiters of isis have resorted to using a lot of encrypted communication with the targets here in United States, and of course, it's very difficult for um, the FBI to get involved in some of this. Uh, sometimes the FBI is successful in, you know, posing as as some of these people, and that's a way that they can do it. But it is very difficult for them to um, get this. Now it's Lindsey Graham, who the senator Lindsey Graham, who apparently. Advocates deploying a particular number of troops, 10,000 US troops to Iraq. Now, he may have done that based on conversations with our military advisors, in which case, okay, fine. You know, he's taking the, the advocacy. But he says we need to fight Islam- the Islamic State at its source and, in effect, destroy them. Um, But right now, as Ted Cruz says in that video that I'm highly recommending that you listen to and and watch, uh, Ted Cruz said that when he has approached our military leaders and said, you know, what would you do if you were going to destroy ISIS in 90 days? You know, what would be necessary to do that? Apparently, what they think is that there is not a possible military solution that could do that. And why is it? Because within our current rules of engagement, they're, they're saying it can't be done. But I ask you this question. Here we are. We are in the wake of, again, three different terrorist attacks in the past day or two. Uh, Tunisia, horrible, horrible. France, Kuwait, really vicious, horrible attacks. We are told that ISIS... Is inciting these attacks during the coming month of Ramadan we have seen countless evidence that there are people in our country that Isis is trying to mobilize to commit attacks on American citizens on our soil and somehow there is not the political will in Washington to authorize a full-scale declaration of war and just a military mission to go and destroy these people what is it going to take before they actually see this as in our national self-interest. I'm not exactly sure. Selfishness says you could charge these people with treason. There's another story going on about Natalia Poklonskaya. I don't know who it is. Um, oh, Putin's henchmen. Okay, so this is a completely different story that I don't know. Uh, just Jean says, I watched the cruise video and was shocked to hear that comment about it can't be done coming from the military. Yeah, military should not be telling you that it can't be done. They should just tell you. Oh, Vor says, ignore it, Amy, just guy stuff. Okay, so they're talking about a hot woman. Obviously, it's got to be that. Okay, I, I see what it is. I see. Um There is, I think, a feature in the Blog Talk Radio chat room where you guys can speak privately about this. Uh, Stuart says on uh, the topic of our current discussion, he says, it's creepy when libertarians, even at the Cato Institute, arbitrarily deny that Islam is a threat to the USA. Yeah, I think what they said is that it is not an existential threat. I assume that Listening in the last several weeks or so that those guys would definitely revise their opinion. When you have our FBI, as I was talking about on this show a few weeks ago, when you have our FBI going into our high schools, our government run regular good old public high schools in the United States, and they're doing this because they see that there's a danger of these kids being recruited by ISIS, you know that this is an existential threat to the United States. I mean, what does it have to be to be an existential threat? So it can't just be, you know, a few hundred here or a few hundred there. It's got to be some massive 9-11 style attack before you think that you can even, you know, start speaking this way. I am sorry, individuals matter. And it is irresponsible when our president knows that there is this risk to not go to. The source. Yes, keep doing what you're doing here with the FBI. I'm a big supporter. I'm a supporter of the low-lying surveillance aircraft. And I came out very strongly in favor of those in the past few weeks as well. I think the AP did a horrible thing uh, outing that program about the surveillance aircraft. As long as they are doing targeted investigations of these uh, you know, people who are being recruited this has got to keep going on. Obviously, it's a parallel thing, but we need a proper war to be fought over there as well. And Cruz was very, very strong on that. So again, do listen to him, but he talks about other things too. And one of the things I want you to listen to when you uh, watch that video is why he changed his mind about the TPA. He cites two reasons, both convincing. One was that new information has come to light with respect to one of the trade agreements actually committing us to changing immigration law within a trade agreement, which is something they were assured wasn't gonna happen. And then the other thing is that they were doing a backroom deal as part of the trade agreement to extend the export import bank that they wanna get rid of. Um, So go listen to that. I don't see that Cruz is just pandering. The only question, uh, keep this in mind, is whether this new information that came to light was new information that came to light only to us, or also it was new to him. I wasn't clear about that. That's my only question mark. So listen to that. Tell me what you think. Go to DontLetItGo.com and comment on that. Finally, Ron Rotunda had a Wall Street Journal piece this week, and this could be in the area of the so-called stealth jihad we have lawyers redefining certain torts to take account of people's special sensitivities that come from their religious beliefs and it's very disturbing so check out that wall street journal op-ed as well i'm out of time though everyone thank you so much for the animated discussion here in the chat room uh they're talking about maybe we're going to talk about a hot man next week or something okay come and talk about hot men here in the uh, chat room next week, I'm probably just getting half the conversation. But anyway, yeah, go to DontLetItGo.com, continue the conversation. Thanks to those of you who have donated to and we'll talk to you next week. Take care.